This is the Life Church Podcast. So we're in this series called Peel, where we're talking about uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and we're kind of like in in, in session eight of nine. And so you're, some of you are probably saying, "Whew, it's about time we're done with this series because it's a long series." Uh, but uh, today we're going to be talking about a specific fruit. But I want you, before we get into, I want you to imagine yourself going to the grocery store and shopping and going into the produce section of the grocery store shopping for fruit. What, what kind of fruit do you go for? You just shout it out. What, what, what's, what do you buy when you go to the produce section? What fruit? Watermelon, did I hear? Hey, rat, raspberries? Yeah. Apples? Grapefruit? Okay, just a few different ones that we haven't heard before. Strawberries, yes, when in season, everybody wants strawberries. I think for, if you're like, like me, like most of us, you know, we go for the staples like bananas and apples and oranges and, and strawberries, of course, when they're in season. Um, we do that. That's what we go for, you know. There are some fruit, on the other hand, that we kind of pass by. We don't fully buy. Like, for example, by show of hands, how many of you uh, have, on a regular basis, shopped for figs? One. Yeah, and I, I said figs. I didn't say fig newtons. You, you, you're talking about figs, right? Okay, okay, good, good. So as I buy fig newtons, I just don't buy figs. In fact, I don't think I've ever gone to the grocery store and bought a fig. I think I know what they look like, but it's definitely an overlooked fruit for me, you know? How about um, how many of you have shopped for dates? <laughs> Again, that sounds really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know what I mean. You know what a date is, right? It's a fruit. <laughs> How many of you have bought those before? Okay, there's a few of you, right? Yeah, but not, that's not common. We don't do that. Here's one that I, that I suspect is going to be a little bit different, and I think there's going to be quite a bit, bit of a response. It's not really a fruit. It's more of a vegetable, but we kind of treat it like a fruit. Rhubarb. Shop for Rhubarb. I'm actually surprised that so few hands actually went up because people, I had never heard of rhubarb until I came to Iowa. And, I, and so, you know, like, they said, you've never had rhubarb pie? Are you kidding me? And I'm like, what's a rhubarb, you know? And then I discovered it's this sour vegetable. And, and then between services today, I was talking, somebody said, I need to bring you some rhubarb. You need to come to my house and see what a rhubarb looks like. And, uh, and then they, they tell, tell me the story. This is like probably a farmer's tales, you know. Uh, when I was a kid, we used to eat rhubarb. We'd dip it in sugar and just eat it raw. Anybody, any, anybody do that? Yeah, yeah. I, f- I figured that. That's a good Iowa thing. <laughs> but I had never heard of it. And so what, we, what, what, I'm, what I'm getting is that there's, you know, we're studying the fruit of the Spirit, and I think that there are some fruit that tend to be overlooked, things that we don't really, we don't go for that often. We're kind of like forgotten fruit. And as we're studying the Holy Spirit, I think the fruit that we're going to talk about today is one of those forgotten fruit. It's not really desired. We're going to talk about gentleness. Uh, I mean, we pray for love. We pray for joy. We pray for peace. We pray for patience. But I don't think we often pray for gentleness. It's not something that we, we really want. It doesn't really make the grocery list. There's no real appetite for gentleness, right? In fact, the reason why is because we tend to think that 
of this passive, wimpy person who gets walked on when we think of gentle, right? Somebody who really, you know, just, we just don't want to be described that way. When you think gentleness, you, you, you know, like, for example, it's not typically what an employer is looking for, right? You don't ever see a job advertisement that says, we need a gentle person. Motivated, yes. Ambitious, yes, but not a gentle person, Right? Athletes don't win a gentleness award. Isn't that right, Aaron? Where's Aaron Larmore? Right? We don't win gentleness awards in, in sports. If you're hiring a lawyer, you don't want a gentle lawyer. Right? You don't want the kitty. You want the tiger to represent you. So it's not really desired. It's not something that we really look for, that we go shopping for. It's something we tend to overlook is Gentleness. In fact, there was a Barna report. Barna is this group that does uh, research, Christian research, and extensive research. And uh, years ago, they did a study where they were trying to identify qualities that, that would, would identify what a true born-again Christian looks like. You know? And they compiled a list of 30 characteristics of what a Christian looks like. And so this list was compiled. And then they asked the respondents to to put them in, in order of what they think is most important down to the least important. And guess what came, came dead last? Gentleness. It's not something that we, really, that we really desire. Why is it that gentleness is a fruit that we don't really desire? Well, it's because we tend to associate it with weakness. It's the person who doesn't have what it takes to climb the ladder of success, for example, right? It's that person who gets walked on or taken advantage of in a romantic relationship. It's that person that goes to the mall and wants to get a good parking space but can't get a good parking space because, well, they're just too gentle. That's the, what we associate with. In fact, in, our, in my thesaurus, you know, the, the synonyms for gentleness are mild, docile, bland, domesticated, meek. I mean, who wants that? Right? Who wants that? We don't, right? And yet what you find consistently in the scriptures, what you find consistently in the scriptures is this gentleness is a characteristic that's associated with a person who is full of the Holy Spirit. We find that in Galatians chapter 5 is one of the fruit of the Spirit, and you find it on and on, especially in the life of Christ. It's associated with somebody who's full of the Holy Spirit. So what do the scriptures have to say about gentleness? Well, first of all, the Greek word that, we, that Paul uses in Galatians chapter 5 to describe gentleness is this word prautis. Prautis. It's up on the screen. Um, if you understand, the New Testament was written in, in Koine Greek. Um, it was a, a kind of a... It wasn't classical Greek. It was a kind of a Greek of the times. It was a traveling kind of Greek. It was because the Roman Empire was such a huge empire. The, this language spanned a lot of different uh, countries and demographics and languages, and thus they used Greek as a kind of a trade language. It was very common. Most people in the Roman Empire who spoke Greek spoke it just enough to be able to bargain and trade. They didn't have an extensive vocabulary. And so this is the language that's being used. This is the language that's used. And because of that, because of that, there was always these word images that were associated with, with words. I mean, uh, there was these images that were associated with words. They would do that to be able to explain. So if they, they brought up a word like prautus, gentleness, somebody out in Libya wouldn't really fully understand what prautus meant. So you explain it by giving this image, this mental picture. 
And the image that was often given for Prautus was that of a stallion. Now, you don't think of a stallion as gentle, do you? Right? You think of a stallion as strong and powerful. And yet, they would give this image of a stallion who had been tamed and the reins handed over to the master. So the master could then use the stallion, ride the stallion. And that's the image. It's power and strength that is under control to benefit someone else. My wife, Christy, for many, many years has said this statement, power, power should always serve weakness. This is something, this is essentially what gentleness is all about. The image here is that we're submitting ourselves, we're submitting our power, our talents, our, our, our strength, we're submitting it to the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to take the reins of our lives, the reins of our strength, the reins of our power, our wills are given over to the Holy Spirit so that he can accomplish his purposes through us. That's the idea of gentleness. So that's what gentleness means. There's another way to understand gentleness as well, and that's understanding what it doesn't mean. So Paul, in this passage in Galatians chapter 5, he gives us the fruit of the Spirit. One of them is gentleness. But before that, he gives us another list. These two lists are kind of together. They're kind of held in contrast with each other. He gives us another list of the, the acts of the sinful nature. And within that list is the antonym, the opposite of gentleness. It's the word fits of rage. Fits of rage. A New Living Translation says outbursts of anger. And he identifies this as the opposite of gentleness. While gentleness is power and strength under control, fits of rage is this is anger that has the capacity to explode and you never know when it's going to happen. You just explode. Fits of rage. So do you know someone like this? Stop pointing. <laughs> pointing at somebody next to you. All right? Maybe you live with that person. All right? Here's, um, here's some characteristics of what you would use that word fits of rage for. It's, they, this, this person tends to be defensive, right? They get offended easily. You, you might say something. You don't mean anything by it. You, you're just going to say something. You're really being very benign when you say it, but but they take it very personal and get very angry about it, right? Like you might say to your husband, hey, can you go check on the kids? And he, re- he barks back at you. What is that supposed to mean? I love my kids just as much as you love your, our kids. Right? A little bit defensive. This person tends to be hypersensitive, right? It's that coworker who's a bit like a volcano. And so you go to the, you go to the office and you see them coming and They've got coffee in their hand, and you're like, okay, let me take another route. Because you just, you keep your distance because you never know when that volcano is going to explode. So another characteristic of this person is that sometimes they're passive aggressive. I mean, like you're in a relationship with them, you feel like something is wrong. You know something is wrong, and so you ask the question, hey, is, any, is everything all right? Is, is there something wrong? And they'll say, yeah, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Then you turn your back on and then they unscrew the, the lid to the salt shaker so that we, next time you use it, you just pour the whole, you know, whatever. <laughs> A little bit of kind of scheming to lash out, right? So let me ask you, is gentleness a fruit that needs to be growing in your life? Is gentleness something that needs to be growing in your life? So for our purposes, here's how we're going to define gentleness as we kind of continue talking about this. Here's the definition. Gentleness is turning the reins of your anger and aggravation. Now, let me just pause there for a second as we read this definition. Anger and aggravation cannot be completely avoided in life. 
So talking about the fruit of the Spirit doesn't mean you'll never be angry. You'll never, you're going to be aggravated. There are going to be people who are going to do things that are just aggravating, right? That cannot be avoided. And so understanding that, here's the definition. <clears throat> Gentleness is turning the reins of your anger and aggravation over to the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to tame you in many ways. So here's you know, what we learn in this series is that as you walk in the Spirit, as you keep in step, remember the analogy is keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's leading, walking, and we're keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. As you walk in the Holy Spirit, here's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He's going to grow gentleness in you. He's going to grow the fruit of the Spirit in you. So the very first thing that's obvious is that as we walk in, as we walk in the Spirit, gentleness will begin to grow. So I think oftentimes we think of gentleness as a personality trait, right? We, that's how we, we, we imagine it. Like it's, it's, it's either hardwired in you at birth or not. Therefore, if, you, if, if it was hardwired in you at birth, then you're going to be a gentle person. If it wasn't, then you're not going to be a gentle person. So we say things like, well, Rich, I want to be gentle, but you just don't know the family I came from. I mean... I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm part of this family. We're just a bunch of, whole, bunch of hotheads. We, we're just always angry. We just, we just blow up all the time. That's just who we are. That's not consistent. I mean, we can, we can try to say that. But that's not consistent with what the Bible teaches about the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, you can use your genetic nature as an explanation of some problem that you have, some issues that you have, but you can't use it as an excuse to sin. You can't. So Galatians 5, 19 through 21, talks about the, the acts of the sinful nature, and it says the acts of the flesh, that's another word for the sinful nature, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, these are all things that are part of the sinful nature. And then here's the word that we're talking about today. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live, and that word live is in the present continuous tense, which means those who have a lifestyle of, who continue to live on a daily basis, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. As you can see, fits of rage is under this category of the sinful nature, also known as the natural self. And so for many of you, I, mean, I understand, it's more, natural, it's more natural for you to respond in anger than in compassion. It's more natural for you to be critical than, than encouraging. I mean, it's just natural. That's the reality. It's just natural for us to talk that way. But that's why the Bible tells us that we need to put to death our natural self. We have to crucify it with Christ. It needs to die. What, we, what's norm, what is natural for us to do, anger, rage, and those kind of things, need to be put to death. And you might say, it's just not good enough to say, well, it's just the way I'm hardwired. I'm a type A personality. I'm just, I've got an aggressive personality. That's not good enough. Not a good excuse. Instead, if that's how it is, if it's, if it's your nature to be aggressive, if it's your nature to have, you know, a little bit of a go-getter, you just kind of bulldoze over people, if that's your nature, 
then maybe the prayer that you should be praying is, God, help me. I recognize that this is my nature. Holy Spirit, will you lead me? Will you guide me? Will you help me to put to death my natural self? That's how we, how we pray instead of just accepting it as just the way I am, right? See, gentleness is not just something you turn on and turn off. That's why we're, taught, we're encouraged to walk in the Spirit. You don't change overnight, and so you walk in the Spirit, you walk in the Spirit, step by step, walking in the Spirit. And before long, it just begins, the fruit of the Spirit just begin to overflow in your life. And soon, soon, you know, what, what, was, what you thought was unnatural, what was unnatural now starts becoming a lot more natural as you keep walking in the Spirit, walking, staying in step with the Spirit. Have you ever watched Dancing with the Stars? I know somebody in this room has. <laughs> I haven't really watched a whole lot. I've seen, you know, commercials. I've seen a few episodes. Some episodes that have caught my attention are when athletes are, are on the show, you know, Emmett Smith, you know, on the show. And, and when they first start dancing, you, it's like, you're like, you're embarrassed for them. You're like, dude, you are so bad. I thought I was stiff. You're stiff. You're really stiff, you know. And that's, you see that, and you're just like, this is terrible. You should just not do this. You should leave the show. But then they get paired up with a professional dancer and they spend hours and hours and hours of practice. And if you watch the show through, you see that person going through, you'll start seeing that over time, over, as they're practicing it, doing it over and over and over again, it looks like the moves become more natural. And before long, it just seems like it's muscle memory. They're just doing it, right? Not all of them. Some of them still look pretty unnatural, but some... You know, fine. And I think this is how, how it is when we walk in the Spirit. When you become a Christian, things don't just change overnight. They don't. That's a wrong expectation to think that I am just going to totally know everything and be able to live like that's just a wrong expectation. And I think that's the problem. I think oftentimes we quit because we don't, you know, we see so-and-so who's been serving Christ for 30 years, and now I just gave my life to Jesus, and I want to be just like that person, but you're not making it, and so we just quit because we can't be like them. That is 30 years of cultivating, walking in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. It's about a life of transformation. That's really what the fruit of the Spirit's all about. It's about transforming our lives from our sinful nature to the nature of Christ. And it takes time. It's a process. When I was in Huntington Beach, um, uh, there was a, a guy that joined our church. His name was Art, Art Vargas. Uh, came to our, started coming to our church. A week before he started coming to our church, his mom uh, came up to me and said, hey, my son is going to start attending this church here, Pacific Coast Community Church. He's going to start attending this church here. Uh, he gets out of prison this week. And then she's like, can you please talk to him? Can you, like, be his friend? You know, he's been in prison for 15 years. This guy was a hardened criminal, been a gang member, and and Art, honestly, Art was very intimidating. Art, if you, were, if you saw Art on the street, if you didn't know him and you saw him on the street, you'd think, this guy is going to kill me. I mean, he had tattoos from his neck all the way down, on his sleeves. I mean, this guy was covered. He'd been a violent man, an angry man. In fact, that's why he was in prison for so many years, because of violence. And now he was out. But while he was in prison, he gave his life to Christ. And so we became friends. And I remember talking to Art one time. I said, hey, Art, I think I've shared this before, but I was like, Art, let's go to the beach. Because, you know, we live pretty close to the beach. Let's go to the beach. And I was like, nah, I don't go to the beach. 
And I'm like, come on, all right, you need to go to the beach. And I, I started getting a little bit like personally offended, like, you don't want to hang out with me? What's going on, Art? Why don't you want to hang out with me, you know? And finally, Art just had it. He was tired of me asking him over and over and over again. He said, this is why I don't go to the beach. And then he raised up his shirt, and he had in like, like 12-inch, 10-inch letters, F U, you know, that's spelled on his, on his stomach. And he's like, I'm not going to go to the beach. I'm like, okay, let's not go to the beach. Let's go to the, let's go to the movies. <laughs> it's fine, you know. But if you, if you had seen Art and didn't know him, you would think, man, this guy is, he's a, like, I don't, I don't, I, I'm going to walk on the other side of the street. Art passed away a couple years ago, but if you had had a chance to meet Art maybe three or four or five years ago and had a conversation with him, you would have concluded this was the sweetest, gentlest man alive. It's a life of transformation. It's putting the natural self to death and allowing the Holy, the Holy Spirit to, to grow fruit in our life. So, Also, walking in, the, walking in the Spirit will helps us control the words that we speak. I think when we think of anger, frustration, aggravation, we tend to think of how we talk, right? I mean, fits of rage, they manifest themselves in yelling and sarcasm and anger. You know, it just comes out of our mouth when we're angry. These fits of rage, just, that's how they manifest it's the words that we speak. What's interesting, though, if you look at the Scriptures and you do a study of the Holy Spirit, at least in the New Testament, you do a study of the Holy Spirit, you'll find that the Holy Spirit, there's a, there's a close connection and correlation between the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, and how we speak, words that we say, things that come out of our mouth. There's an interesting correlation. In fact, look what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. This is the, the, the moment in which the, the early church gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in other tongues. This amazing miracle happens, and this is what it says. It says, filled with the Holy Spirit. These, these disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak, and they, they began to speak in a language that they didn't know, they had never learned this language, but this language was known to all these visitors who had been visiting Jerusalem, and they began speaking all these different languages, and what they were speaking were the praises and glory of God, a connection between being filled with the Spirit and how we speak. I think for some of you, the language of kindness and gentleness is a foreign language. I mean... It's a language that you've never learned. It's your native tongue is more yelling and sarcasm and anger and criticism. And maybe that's what was modeled for you. Maybe that's what you grew up learning. That was the language that you learned growing up. But the Bible is going to teach you that if you surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit, if you surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit, if you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, that you will begin to speak Yes, in different languages, but more than just speaking in different languages, you'll speak the language of gentleness and kindness and love. This is a character trace of, of Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse 8 says, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he said, he spoke. Acts 4.25, talking about God, it says, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant. The Holy Spirit helped that servant speak. Acts 4.31, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. There's a connection between being filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and how we speak. In fact, James says this in James chapter 1, verse 26, if anyone considers himself religious, that is, if you say you're a Christian, right, 
You say, I'm a, if you walk around saying, I'm a Christian, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Let me translate that. If you walk around saying, I'm a Christian, but at home you get angry with your family, and you say things you shouldn't say, and really bad words come out of your mouth, and you're critical, and you're condemning, you basically canceled out your faith by the way you speak. Story practice means for us, it's the way you talk to that salesperson on the phone, right? I'm not kidding you. I've been in a conversation with somebody, and a person got a phone call, and it was a salesperson. They were just tired of getting the same phone call, and he said, he just yelled, stop calling me, and he said a few other things, and then hung up, and then he started talking, and we're like, I was like, uh, okay, how do we keep talking here, you know? <laughs> It's the tone of voice that you speak with to your children and your spouse. It's the way you speak to that employee who made a mistake. It's the words that you choose while you're playing basketball or you're in the boardroom. There's a connection between walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, and how we speak. See, words have a way of revealing who has the reins of your life. In fact, even when we're defending our faith, Peter challenges us to say it a certain way. It's what he says in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asked you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Long, in, in short sense, be ready to talk about you. Be ready to stand up for Jesus with what you say. That's what Peter's saying. But then he qualifies it. But do this in gentleness and respect. Over the years, I've seen, I've observed this. I've, I've watched this. How maybe a follower of Christ, a Christian, has a value that they really believe in. Maybe a theology that they really, they really they hold strong to. And they're upset that that theology or that value is being challenged in the world that we live in. And so they want to defend themselves. And they start speaking about it, but it sounds and it looks a lot like the acts of the sinful nature, the way they do it. Especially you see it in social media or on TV advertisement, you see verbal attacks, name-calling, sarcasm. And it looks a lot like the sinful nature, not like the fruit of the Spirit. So Peter says, look, yeah, defend your faith. Defend your faith, but do it in gentleness and kindness. Philippians 4, 5 says, let your gentleness be evident to all. There should be something about you that people see that say, hey, I'm attracted to that. I'm attracted to it. I see something. There's power and strength that's under control. And lastly, when we're walking in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will teach us to see people through his eyes. The Holy Spirit will teach us to see people through his eyes. Jesus, Jesus really lived this out. One day, Jesus is walking through town, and always, always a large crowd following him. And he looked up, and he saw a man by the name of Zacchaeus. You probably heard the story of Zacchaeus, the wee, wee little man, right? You know the story. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. So the whole story is that he was a tax collector and he was hated by his own people. They despised him because he schemed, he worked the angles, he figured out how to extort money out of his own people. That was his job for the Roman government. He was a tax collector and he was hated. And Jesus sees Zacchaeus and you know what he tells him? Hey, Zac, today we're going to have lunch at your house. We're going to hang out with you. He sees people differently than how we see them. 
There's another time where Jesus was teaching early in the morning and this mob, this religious mob shows up and they're pushing this woman in front of him, pushing him all the way to the front. She was barely clothed. She, they throw this woman in front of Jesus and say this woman was caught in the act of adultery. These religious leaders are standing there. Their eyes are red hot with condemnation and anger. They have stones in their hands. Or their knuckles are white, clenched, ready to, to just put this woman to death. They're angry. And they say to Jesus, she was caught sleeping with another man who was not her husband. The law says that she should be put to death. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus looks at them and he basically puts them in their place. He shoes them, shoes them off. And soon he finds himself alone with this woman. And if I know Jesus, I'm sure that he knelt down before her. She's beat up already. She's half naked. And he reaches down. He grabs her by the chin and lifts her chin up so his eyes can make contact with her eyes. And probably for the first time in her life, she actually saw eyes of love and care and not of condemnation. And he says to her, hey, woman, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. See, Jesus saw people differently. He saw the value of people and was able to treat them gently, even, even if they didn't deserve it. And maybe a great prayer for you and I today is that kind of prayer. God, help me to see people the way you see people. Fill me with your spirit that I might see through your eyes others around me. That's a good prayer for us to pray, right? Especially when you're going to have lunch or you're going to meet a, uh, you know, a a difficult employee. Or you're going to have lunch with that high maintenance, high maintenance, you know, relative of yours. Or you're driving home from work and you know that there's a house full of hungry kids and a wife who's about to explode. You could say, Jesus, help me to see, help me to see through your eyes. Help me to see them through your eyes. See, as you keep in step with the Spirit, He will change the way you see people. And it'll surprise you that people who used to annoy you, you start having compassion for them. You start feeling for them. My wife, Christy, um, I have here a little tea set. Um, my wife got this from uh, my, her grandmother, Grammy. Grammy is... Uh, she passed away a couple years ago. Grammy is very special to the whole family. Lovely, lovely lady. I mean, just amazingly. I wish I would have put a picture up there of who she was. She's an amazing lady. Chrissy, the oldest grandkid, grew up seeing, spending a lot of time with Grammy. And so when Grammy passed away, there's a lot of things that people, you know, wanted to remember Grammy by. And so Chrissy got these, these, this tea set, this cup, these cups and saucers from, from Grammy. Very special to her. They had a lot of high sentimental value for Christy, and I'm surprised she even let me bring them out here, you know. <laughs> you know, very delicate, you know, things. And so um, that she has this, this thesis. It's very special to her. But can you imagine if I just... <laughs> Wait. Do you really believe that those belong to Christy? 
<laughs> Kayla actually brought them to me from Goodwill. The, the real ones are locked at, at home safe. Did you hear the gasp though? <gasps> you know why? Because for a moment there, you thought that I was handling something that was very precious, very important, carelessly. I think, <clears throat> I sometimes wonder how Jesus feels when we handle his creation carelessly. When we, with words, bruise and break those around us. When we don't love, but instead hurt with sarcastic remarks. Honestly, I think it breaks his heart. It breaks his heart. And so I would challenge you this morning. I would challenge you this morning to allow, live a life full of the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to grow gentleness in you. As you keep in step with the Spirit, you'll find that over time, it'll begin to happen inside of you. As you keep in step with the Spirit, you'll begin to see a new label on those around you. Fragile, handle with care. Fragile, handle with care. Sometimes we don't get that. Sometimes we see that person, we think, yeah, they're, they're, they're my enemy. But no, there's a sign. It says fragile. And if you don't believe that, that's exactly how you and I were treated by, the, by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't deserve anything. In fact, in my life, the things that I've done in my life, I deserve the punishment of hell. I deserve death. I deserve eternal separation from God for the things that I have done. And yet Jesus looks at me and he treats me gently and he handles me with care. And I stand before you today because of that very thing. In fact, it says in in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So for anyone here right now, you might feel weary and wounded. You might be broken and bruised. Jesus opens his arms to you and he says, Hey, come to me. Come to me. And then for those of you here this morning, maybe you struggle. Maybe you, you have fits of rage. Maybe it, it consumes you. And, and maybe you've even used the excuse, this is just my, this is who I am. I just can't help it. This is how I grew up. I would submit to you that the prayer of Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Come and fill me. You're going to change me, Lord. Transform me. Make me a new creature in you is an appropriate prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray this morning, but I want to encourage you. We'll worship here in a second. I want to encourage you during the time of worship that the altars are open here. Our prayer team, our pastors are up here. We're, we're happy to pray with you. And a simple prayer is this, Holy Spirit, I need you. Holy Spirit, I need you to fill me. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Help me to live, Holy Spirit, the way you want me to live. Help me to speak the way you want me. Help me to see people the way you want me to see people. Amen. This is the Life Church Podcast.